and good morning. It's Monday, the 26th of March, 2018. Welcome back to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the first and only regularly updated podcast in the world dedicated entirely to autonomous cars. Today, episode 15, LiDAR maker Velodyne gets baffled. Tesla makes a new map. Porsche denies Tesla competition. Let's dive in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So in light of the tragic accident between the Uber autonomous test vehicle and 49-year-old pedestrian Elaine Hertzberg last week, there's been a lot of finger-pointing between Uber and its manufacturers and vice versa, and certainly an ongoing investigation trying to figure out exactly what went wrong. What part of the system actually failed? Why didn't the Uber autonomous vehicle properly detect and avoid colliding with this pedestrian. This seemed to have been, by all accounts, a pretty textbook scenario. Pedestrian sort of jumping out in front of an Uber uh, in the middle of the night. Why didn't the ensuite set of sensors, radars, in particular the LiDAR, light radar system, which uses lasers to generate a 3D pinpoint of space around the car, why didn't these all work in harmony to detect and avoid striking the pedestrian? Well, it turns out that Everybody's confused. Uh, LiDAR manufacturer, Velodyne LiDAR Inc., they are not shifting the blame to Uber. They're not pointing a finger at Uber and saying they are at fault, but they are shifting the blame away from themselves. Quoting Marta Toma Hall, she's the president of Velodyne LiDAR Inc., she says, We are as baffled as anyone else. Certainly, our LiDAR is capable of clearly imaging Elaine Hertzberg, that's the pedestrian who was struck, and her bicycle in this situation. However, our LiDAR doesn't make the decision to put the brakes on or to get out of her way. So, so basically what she's saying is, look, first of all, there's nothing to indicate that our system didn't work, that our system didn't properly detect the pedestrian. Given the scenario, it turns out this was a pretty textbook use case where LiDAR should have performed optimally. So it turns out that LiDAR, so again, the way it works is it fires out a sort of an array of, uh, of lasers 360 degrees around the car. These, of course, are invisible to humans. This array of lasers, essentially, well, every time they reflect off of an object, they, they reflect back, they're detected by the car, and they create this sort of three-dimensional pinpoint space of objects around the car. This then is, of course, uh, interpreted by the onboard car's computer systems, which then makes the logical decisions of how to drive. This is a really important distinction to make. The LiDAR system itself doesn't actually do anything as far as controlling the car. It is simply the it is simply what enables the car to see the surrounding area. The car's onboard computers then make the decision of how to drive. Uh, to use an analogy in biology, um, it's sort of like suggesting, you know, that the human eye should be able to make decisions for how to interact when a ball is flying at your head. No, the eye simply relays visual data to the brain. The brain then, you know, controls the, the muscles of the body, how to react to avoid a ball hitting your head. Same exact thing here by analogy 
with respect to how LiDAR works with the car. And indeed, all the various uh, visual systems uh, that, that autonomous cars use, whether it's LiDAR, radar, uh, you know, short-range sensors, um, what else, visual cameras, and so on. These simply visualize the surrounding space. It's the car and its secondary systems which then decide what to do with and how to interpret that data. So that's kind of what's going on here. It seems that indeed uh, nothing went wrong with LiDAR. So far, preliminary investigations say that nothing indeed did go wrong. So really, um, there's got to be something wrong with how Uber handled the data. So to make another analogy here, it's sort of like, um, okay, so autopilot systems on airplanes, you'll probably notice that I have been making and I'll continue to be making many analogies to autopilot systems and aircraft because A, I love aviation, and B, because, well, there's a lot of overlaps and certainly a lot to learn from aviation here in the autonomous car space. So autopilot systems on airplanes, I'm pretty sure it's Honeywell who develops the autopilot or at least the onboard flight computer for Boeing. So, assuming I'm correct, but even if I'm not, the analogy still works here. Uh, imagine if Boeing blamed Honeywell because the airplane didn't properly execute an auto land. So, an auto land is when the airplane does, uh, well, it's what it sounds like, really. The aircraft will land itself. This is usually not performed. Uh, it requires specially uh, so-called instrument landing 3C uh, airports to handle uh, such an approach. It's used whenever there's zero visibility at zero altitude. Um, again, usually not the case, but if necessary, these autopilot systems can fully land an airplane. Well, it would sort of be like Boeing blaming Honeywell, uh, you know, if the plane nevertheless crashed on landing, given that the autopilot systems were otherwise functioning properly. Uh, to be clear, the way these systems work in an ILS landing system is you've got sort of uh, – actually, this is too much to get into, but you've got sort of a radio receiver, which is getting information from the runway, which basically tells the plane whether it's too high or too low relative to the glide, pla- glide path of the runway, and then whether it's too far to the left or to the right, then it helps to keep on center line. Well, this data is being fed to the flight computer, and in turn, the plane then has to interpret this data and make course corrections as needed. So – you know, assuming the system works well, if Boeing's aircraft nevertheless fails, that's not a failure with the autopilot systems. That's a failure with Boeing interpreting the data and failing to properly uh, navigate the aircraft. So kind of the same thing here. Um, you know, bringing this sort of more down to earth, so to speak, it would be as if a human driver were blaming an automaker because they crashed a car while using cruise control. It just wouldn't make any sense. So This is a lot of sort of back and forth finger pointing, but I think the really important takeaway here is that if indeed it is shown that the, uh, that the, uh, the LIDAR systems were in fact working flawlessly, and if indeed the data shows, uh, from the black box or similar, whatever the car has, whatever data is able to be extracted, uh, in the ongoing investigation, if it shows that the LIDAR system worked perfectly well, that if in fact it did, uh, detect the pedestrian, then yes, this is clearly a fault with Uber's um, systems and how the car was designed to interpret and react to that to that data. So very interesting uh, discussion here uh, going forward. Of course, we'll have more information as it becomes known to us. Stay tuned. So a Tesla owner in the Netherlands tweeted at the end of December of last year, how about navigation chart updates? I have my Tesla almost three years in which I received one update of charts, and even that was old, 
Netherlands roads are changing faster than ludicrous speed. This tweet, of course, was not missed by Elon Musk, who replied immediately, Major navigation overhaul coming in early 2018 will be light years ahead of current system, but we are testing it rigorously before rolling out. Well, just before this past weekend, uh, Elon followed up his promise with another tweet stating, New nav starts rolling out this weekend, should be considered a mature beta at first, so won't be perfect, but will improve rapidly. With the old system, we were stuck with legacy third-party black box code and stale data, no way to improve. So it turns out this has been rolling out little by little with Tesla's over-the-air updates. We don't have too much uh, sort of firsthand experience with this yet, but uh, thanks to the good folks over at electrek.co, we do have a few uh, screenshots to compare the new Tesla maps uh, with the old. And looking at it, really, the only obvious difference, frankly, is the detail level. So if you look at the maximum zoom on the older maps uh, product that Tesla used, um, frankly, it looked pretty good. But um, the new system allows you to zoom very, very close indeed. Uh, Also, one detail that I've certainly missed in the past, the graphics on the mapping system, both the old but especially the new, really show quite nicely a little bit of layering effects. You can tell which roads are going under and therefore over rather than simply crossing each other. Very useful for seeing roads passing underneath freeways, for instance. But uh, apparently the big the big update, though, besides just simply the zoom factor, obviously, is going to be that there's going to be a much better sort of... Uh, sort of routing logic. Apparently that was one of the biggest issues with the current Tesla mapping system. Uh, It just wasn't always that great. So apparently this new uh, system, which Tesla is calling uh, Vector Maps, well, that's the name of the update. The overall system itself is indeed just called Tesla Maps. This is meant to be better than not only with respect to the graphics uh, zoom level and fluidity of animation, but also and especially with respect to the route mapping. So Very interesting to see here if any of you actually have listened to this podcast and have received the new uh, Tesla Maps update, please do let me know. You can reach me uh, on Twitter at Mark Hoag, that's M-A-R-C-H-O-A-G, or of course, if you're listening on Anchor.fm, you can just leave me a voicemail here. Let us know what you think, how uh, how the new mapping system is working for you. So the automotive world is a bit snobby. There's a lot of image, and nothing like this is more apparent than the current rivalry, not really a rivalry, between Porsche and Tesla. In particular, Porsche CEO uh, Oliver Bloom, he has just claimed that Tesla is not a benchmark for us. Um, Basically, they don't want anyone to perceive Tesla as a competitor to Porsche with whom Porsche is trying to catch up. Obviously, the reverse direction is just fine. Tesla, by all means, can be said to be competing with Porsche, but just don't make that mistake. Porsche is not playing catch-up with Tesla. This, despite the fact that Porsche is well-documented as having acquired recently uh, a Model S, uh, supposedly, logically, so that they can sort of, well, benchmark it for development of Porsche's new Mission E all-electric vehicle. But no, apparently that's not why they have the Model S. So, therefore, clearly, they only have it because, well, they like it. Maybe somebody just wanted a Tesla Model S at Porsche. Blasphemy, I say. But, um, look, the fact is, whatever they say, this is, after all, just a PR stunt. uh, Because, of course, Porsche can't be possibly competing with a small little American upstart. This legendary, storied, 
German brand of perfection and history and elegance and superiority in every way, because after all, don't they even say, Porsche, there is no substitute? Well, they used to say that anyway. Um, well, let's see. I mean, are they really trying to build a competitive car? Are they really meant to be sort of potential uh, options for uh, for cross shoppers trying to decide what electric car to take. Well, as we've discussed in the past, uh, this vehicle that Porsche are developing, the Mission E, it is supposed to have over 310 miles of range. That's, of course, because it's a nice round 500 kilometers. Um, Model S's, of course, can hit up to 335 miles. So certainly on range alone, it's the, you know there's really nothing in it. Uh, also, as far as acceleration goes, performance... Uh, the Mission E is said to be able to hit 60 or just under 100 kilometers an hour in about three and a half seconds. As we all know, Tesla's Model S is just sort of mind-blowing with the, with the fact that it's a full second quicker, two and a half seconds to 60. So really, there's nothing in it there either. So what really is going to be the, the, the big sort of uh, killer feature, <laughs> as it were, for, for Porsche's Mission E? Well, being a Porsche, obviously on-track performance is of paramount importance. This, of course, is true with their entire lineup of vehicles. Okay, maybe with the brief exception of the diesel Cayenne. Um, well, one of the big problems with Tesla that everybody knows about is that although it's mind-meltingly bleeding fast in a straight line, well, it can only do this for so long. It doesn't exactly have the endurance, so to speak. Put another way, if you put a Tesla on the racetrack, well, it tends to overheat, and then it goes into so-called limp home mode. We've got very sort of limited power output. Tragically, this then meant that a Tesla was not even able to make it around the famous Nürburgring circuit in Germany because, well, it overheated far too quickly to even get around one, uh, one lap of this roughly 12.5-kilometer uh, long racetrack. So Porsche are now saying that, well, being a proper Porsche, it'll have no problem at all on a racetrack. It'll be able to maintain high speeds for a long period of time. Um, presumably, then it should be able it should be able to get around Porsche's uh, neighborhood track of the Nurburgring with no problems. So that'll be great. I mean, apart from obvious styling, uh, you know, and and here performance on track, that'll be really great. I mean, obviously, I think things like this don't really apply and matter in the real world. But if you're a car guy like I am, obviously. That's kind of nice to know. And in any event, wouldn't it be cool to be able to finally take your electric car to a racetrack in a way that you can't now? So, um, yeah, look, the uh, the race is on. Just don't forget, Porsche is not playing catch-up with Tesla. Nope, not at all. So that's a wrap for today's episode. As a reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes Podcasts. Please do leave a review, share it with your friends and colleagues. Of course, if you're listening directly on Anchor.fm, you can leave me a voicemail to which I promise to reply and uh, even reference you in the next episode of the show. Of course, if you want to reach out to me directly on Twitter, you can do so at Mark Hogue. That's M-A-R-C-H-O-A-G. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Until next time, have a great day. Bye-bye.